Our passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, and then chapter 18, verse 38. John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, and chapter 18, verse 38. Uh, once you have found that, if you're able, I invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then jumping ahead ten chapters, to chapter 18, verse 38. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the word of God. He may be seated. So from these two short passages this morning, I'll preach from the title, Cynicism is Not Inevitable. Anyone else feel like truth has gone out of style lately? In previous days, it at least seemed like pundits and partisans and other powerful people were at least interested in a veneer of truth. But over the past few years, the slide toward power-grabbing relativism has been dizzying. Sometimes the betrayal of the truth seems aimed at something big, like undermining our electoral process. And other times, the motivation just seems downright vindictive. I'm thinking as an example of a story that some of you will remember. It took place at last summer's Olympic Games when Simone Biles decided to withdraw from the competition. Biles came to the Games as one of the all-time greats, having won four gold medals in 2016. She had also been public about her occasional experiences with depression along with the fact that she was one of the survivors of the abuse perpetrated by the USA Gymnastics team doctor. Anybody remember this story? When Biles, who if you don't happen to know her, if you had your head in the sand, uh, when Biles, who is black, decided to withdraw, saying that she felt uncertain attempting her routines and that she needed to prioritize her well-being and safety, many athletes especially African-American athletes, spoke out in support of her decision. They described their own difficult athletic experiences as well as the persistent struggle to push themselves beyond the limits of safety. We also heard many black women speak up, praising Biles for prioritizing her mental and physical health. They acknowledged that if she didn't do it for herself, it's likely that no one else would do it for her. But then, seemingly from an entirely different universe, the pundits began making themselves known. Mostly white men, these voices characterized Biles' decision very differently. One called her a selfish sociopath and a shame to the country. Another wrote that Biles seemed to revel in taking care of her mental health, whatever that means. 
Yet another took to social media to mock her decision, ending with, what a joke. These cynical responses represent more than a difference in perspective or experience. Instead, they were a refusal to take Simone Biles at her word. Rather than believing the experienced athlete and the chorus of others who corroborated that experience, these pundits chose to obscure the truth for their own cynical agendas. It seems that we live in a world where we don't simply have different perspectives but where one group of people is comfortable telling a whole bunch of other people that their experiences are not true. It can seem as though more and more of us are not invested in actually learning the truth, particularly if it messes with our own narratives about reality. The cynicism which drips from Pilate's words as he responds to Jesus, reflects our own cultural mood all too well. What is truth? And yet, as we see from a passage earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus taught his would-be followers that truth could be known by holding to his teaching. I am utterly and completely convinced that it is the unity of Jesus' followers across cultural lines of division and separation which is meant to bear beautiful witness to the truth of the gospel. The tension between cynicism and truth is not abstract to those of us who follow Jesus. When Christians are not equally invested in the truth when we content ourselves with the mistruths, mischaracterizations, and outright lies which support our self-centered opinions. We are abdicating our call to represent the Savior, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And yet, none of this is inevitable. Here's the good news that I want to lift up for us this morning. Cynicism must surrender to the truth in the presence of the body of Christ. Cynicism surrenders to truth in the presence of the body of Christ. In other words, how we serve and worship together testifies to a truth that cannot be obscured. And in these days of suspicion, when truth can feel very hard to pin down, I think this is an extraordinary claim. So what is it about the body of Christ? What is it about the people of God? What is it about you, New Community Covenant Church? which forces cynicism and deceit to surrender. Let me suggest three things. First, the body of Christ is built on truth. Second, the body of Christ exists for reconciliation. And finally, the body of Christ 
testifies to freedom. So let's take those each one at a time. Cynicism must surrender to truth because the body of Christ is built on truth. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do we know the truth? Jesus makes it relatively simple. Hold to my teaching. Now, a, a perhaps more literal translation of what Jesus says here when he says, hold to my teaching, would be remain in my word. Remain is that same word that could be translated as abide. And so there is an echo here of John 15 and 4 when Jesus tells his disciples, remain, abide in me, as I also remain or abide or hold to you. The teaching that Jesus is describing, which leads to truth, is not simply information about Jesus. It's not simply being able to articulate the right things about the way of Jesus. It is relational in its orientation. This knowledge, this knowledge which leads to truth, has to do with abiding with Jesus. Has to do with nurturing a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, hold to my teaching. And the word for teaching here is the Greek word logos, the word, which echoes something else that John wrote to open his gospel. In the beginning was the word, was the logos, was the teaching. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So so here clearly, the the invitation to hold to Jesus' teaching is an invitation to abide with the God through whom everything has been made. Do you you hear it? Yeah. No, no, No wonder Jesus can say, abide with me and you will have access to the truth. Because the invitation is to abide with the one through whom everything was made. This is how we have access to the truth. But, but you and I know that what sounds relatively straightforward actually gets pretty complicated in real life. If we're honest, we understand the way that sin obscures the presence of Jesus, the invitation to abide with Jesus in practice. So that rather than running to the truth found in the Son of God, sin orients us toward deceit toward lies, toward cynicism. If, again, we are honest, we know our own propensity to lie. We know our own propensity to believe lies. We know our susceptibility to being lied to. In fact, if we're honest, most of us regularly expect that we are being lied to. I remember a few years ago, when our city was in the process of shutting down many public schools, most which were located in black and brown neighborhoods. I remember attending a meeting a little bit south of here with the then CEO of Chicago Public Schools as she was letting us know how many of those schools would be concentrated in our own Bronzeville community. And she said, we, we, we shouldn't really worry too much about this because children are resilient. 
they'll bounce back, they'll be okay. And, and, and by the way, she told us, every child whose school is going to be closed is going to get an iPad at the school that will receive them. We were being lied to. Yeah. Of course, our children are resilient, but the disruption, the traumatic disruption of closing a school in your own neighborhood, where you now have to cross all sorts of lines and complications to get to your new school, is in fact a traumatic experience. And time and evidence has borne that out. But what was most discouraging to me about that moment was not the lie that was told to us. It was how quickly we were willing to believe the lie that, yeah, an iPad would probably be enough. Is it any wonder that cynicism has become our vernacular? Hmm. Hmm. That truth sounds so relative in the mouths of those who hold the most power? Hmm. Hmm. And so we need to remember that Jesus established his church in similarly deceitful days. Pilate was not the only one despairing of the possibility of knowing the truth. And it's into this cynical world that Jesus comes. And Jesus comes claiming not simply to know the truth, not simply to have access to the truth, not simply being able to show you the way to the truth. Jesus comes claiming to be the truth. And, And unlike so many others of our spiritual leaders, Jesus does not hoard the truth for himself. Jesus does not cloak the truth in mystery as will the Gnostics later on. Unlike the the ideological operatives of our day, Jesus doesn't force anybody to join the right party to have access to the truth. It is available to the Sadducee and to the Pharisee. It is available to the Essene and to the Zealot. It is available to the Republican and the Democrat and the Progressive and the Conservative. One simply needs to abide with Jesus. This is the incredible claim that the people of God have always made across time and place that truth is available in Jesus. And it is the incredible claim that we, the people of God, are meant to proclaim and embody in 2022 in our own cynical age. Truth is available. It is found in Jesus. Turn to him. Abide with him. Remain with him. Be transformed by him. Come to care more about his truth than the lies that made us feel so good about ourselves. Here's the application. Abide with Jesus. Remain with Jesus. And don't put it off. Because there is a lie that many of us hear in a very subtle but very attractive way, which is that I do not have the time to abide with Jesus. Mm that I will put off abiding with Jesus until I am less busy, until I have figured out this whole Christianity thing, until I am in that next phase of life, and it's all a lie. There will never be a convenient time to abide with Jesus. Uh, Peter was fishing at his nets. Matthew was collecting taxes. There will never be. So abide, choose to remain with Jesus today. The one who is the source of all truth. Cynicism must surrender to truth because the body of Christ is built on truth with a capital T. Second, cynicism must surrender to the truth because the body of Christ exists for reconciliation. 
We are drawn toward one another as we are drawn to the truth in Jesus. And oftentimes, this is where many Christians have left it. We have described the truth of the gospel, the the power of the gospel, is simply in believing the truth. So that when some of us begin to explore and articulate the massive implications of the truth that is Jesus, we have been told that we need to just stick to the truth of the gospel. We have been told to not get distracted from the essence of the gospel. The problem, of course, is that this reductionistic view of the gospel has to ignore massive amounts of things that Jesus both said and did. The problem with this is that sticking to this reductionist gospel has resulted in this country in a church that is segregated. And with a majority culture church, which has often been willfully or ignorantly complicit in a racial hierarchy and a status quo. And so I think about Dr. King being locked up in that hot and stuffy Birmingham cell, reflecting on his experience of this reductionistic gospel. In his epistle, he wrote that in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. And so friends, we need to hear and to listen to the testimonies of our sisters and brothers from previous generations. Testimonies which would remind us of the danger in our own day of reducing the gospel to the proclamation of truth without the corollary demonstration of that truth without the corollary demonstration of the reconciling and the righteous power of Jesus Christ in our world today. Now my hunch is that at least 95% of the people in this room right now are saying amen. I know some of you haven't haven't learned to say amen out loud yet, but we're going to get you there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So let me suggest another reduction that we in this room might be a little more susceptible to. It is actually not all that hard to say amen to what I just preached. It is not all that hard to say, yes, of course, the truth of the gospel is more than just about what we believe in our hearts. It is about how we live in a manner that is opposed to the status quo of our day, which leads towards oppression and marginalization. It's not that all that hard to say that we agree and we believe these sorts of things. And yet the temptation remains very strong to say these things out loud, to come to a church like ours, and then to live in a manner which is utterly indistinguishable from those in our culture who have nothing to do with our Lord Jesus. It's actually pretty easy to say that we believe that the gospel is massive and that its implications are universal, and then to live in an undercover way, which would lead us completely undistinct from our neighbors who do not believe the same things we say we believe about Jesus. I would suggest that we are just as prone to a reductionistic view of the gospel, where if we were to simply observe our lives about how we spend our money, Mm. about how we think about our children's education, about where we live, about who we have into our homes, there would be very little difference Mm. between us and a culture which does not recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And so friends, remember please that the body of Christ exists not just because we are drawn to the truth, though we are, but because of the visceral, tangible, observable things that Jesus has done between us and among us. John in his gospel records Jesus' prayer for you. In John 17, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples in front of him. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And as the church began to grow beyond the confines of Jerusalem, beyond the confines of the Jewish imagination, the church began to apply Jesus' prayer to oneness across every line of cultural separation and division that they confronted. The message and the mandate of reconciliation that Paul proclaimed in his second letter to the Corinthians was then applied to the social hierarchies between Jew and Gentile, between rich and poor, between women and men, between those who were culturally Hellenistic and those who were culturally Hebraic, to the enslaved and to the free, to representatives of the empire, to those who had suffered the worst that the empire had to offer. These early Christians became, as Dr. King would later say, maladjusted to the sinful assumptions which privileged some at the expense of others. This reconciliation became central to their identity. They believed it was worth struggling for and fighting for. They believed that this identity as the reconciled people of God is what testified to the power of the truth of Jesus among them. It made them distinct, strange, peculiar from those who were around them. They could not blend in. They could not fit in. You see, cynicism and deceit thrive in segregated silos. Cynicism and deceit thrives in segregated silos where we don't have access to somebody else's experience, to somebody else's rejoicing, to somebody else's weeping. A few years ago, I was interviewed by a a radio host from Detroit, and this man was, was, was concerned, to put it mildly, about the church's involvement in issues of social justice. He believed that this was watering down the gospel, and he, he spent most of the time not really interviewing me, but, but talking to me about the things that he was reading online, the news reports that he was concerned about, the, the stories that he had heard about from different parts of the country. And do you know that not a single time did this white man from Detroit say anything about any black person from a city which last time I checked has a few black people in it, a few black Christians in it, a few black churches who've been holding it down for quite some time. Am I right, Allison? He had no lived experience of the community of Christians who were literally next door to him. He was left cynical in his segregated silo, responding to things he was told and heard and read, unable to actually access the truth that was available to him among the people of God. But you see, when we are rooted within the diverse body of Christ, we have more access to the truth because we can no longer reduce the truth to our own narrow experience. And so the Jew 
must consider what circumcision means to the Gentile. And Philemon is confronted by the impossibility of continuing to enslave Onesimus. And the Greco-Roman Christians realize that they're going to have to give up their participation in the ritual meals where food had been sacrificed to idols. And the wealthy can no longer ignore the poor as they both come to the communion table together. And men formed by patriarchal culture must reckon with the fact that it was the women who did not abandon Jesus on the cross. It was the women who were sent by Jesus with the first news of the resurrection. That's right, that's right. In reconciled community, when we experience the oneness across cultural lines of segregation and hierarchy, the truth of the gospel becomes ever more accessible and ever more livable. Reconciled community resists cynicism and deception. Because you see, the diverse body of Christ becomes the filter for our own personal experience becomes the filter for what we're reading in the news and scrolling through our feeds. I mentioned this last week. I want to mention it again. We're about a a year from when those six Asian American women were killed in Atlanta. And for those of us in this church who are not Asian or Asian American ourselves, we had the opportunity in the days and the weeks to follow to filter what we were hearing in the news through the lived realities of our sisters and brothers in Christ in this particular community. We we did not have the liberty of writing off that event as a one-off, as an anomaly, because we existed within a community of people who could testify that this was just one manifestation of an evil that has been true for a long time. This is what the body of Christ does for us. So I want to ask... What choices are you making to participate in the reconciliation that we exist for? Because this reconciliation will not happen to you. If you go with the flow, you will not be going with the flow of reconciliation. In case you haven't noticed, that is not the bend of our society. So what are you doing to actively resist the status quo in order to participate in the reconciliation that we exist for? I want to take a minute and I want to speak just to our church. And I want to say this tenderly. And I want to ask for your grace as I say this. And if you have any question or concern, you come find me or email me this week. Because reconciliation is for all of us, sisters and brothers in Christ. But it will be pursued differently by different ones of us. And here's what I, here's what I mean. Our society privileges those with the most power. In in our society, those with the most privilege and power have the luxury of being the most static. We can let everybody else come to us, move towards us, move towards our cultural assumptions, our expectations, our narratives of what is true. We can be the most static. But within the body of Christ... Within the upside-down kingdom of God, everything has been reversed. Somebody say amen. Amen. So, so, so again, tenderly and with grace. To, 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 to my uh, black sisters and brothers who call New Community Covenant Church your home, in a multiracial church like ours, it is, um, it is evident, it has been proved, that there will be a tendency to center white comfort. Yeah. It, there will be a tendency 
to move in the same way our society does toward the, the, the white people in our church. Yeah. And so I am, I am asking you to not do that. Now, I know that that is a complicated request, and I know that there are layers to that, tenderly and with grace. Amen? Amen. But I'm asking those of you who are black in our church to, as best you can, not accommodate those white expectations and assumptions. We need you to bring your full selves, your whole selves to our congregation. We will never be who God has called us to be in our community without that. And that is easier said than done, and I understand that so tenderly and with grace. I want to say to those of us who are white in our church that we are used to being accommodated to. We are used to interpreting comfort as the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I need you, I need us to flip that thing upside down. I need us to begin welcoming discomfort into our lives as evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing something new in us. I need us to get ready to being the ones who move the most in this community. Now, let me say to to my Asian American sisters and brothers, to my Latina, Latino sisters and brothers, and to those of you who don't fit neatly into any of these racial constructs, it has to be a strange thing in this country and in this church to exist in a place that so often is pulled between anti-black racism and white supremacy. Because often that gets misinterpreted as a black and white binary. And we know that it's not a binary. We understand that we are responding to the the realities, the evils, the sins of anti-black racism and white supremacy. And so it must, I have to imagine, feel challenging to, to, to say, here is my place in this conversation. Here is my place in this community. It must at times feel as though your narratives get erased. It must feel at times as though, though, though we are saying implicitly, just wait. We got to figure this thing between black and white out first. So my request, tenderly and with grace, is that we really need you in this church. We will not be who God has called us to be without you in our church. And yes, we need you to understand that we are all collectively resisting the sins of white supremacy and anti-black racism. That's not going to change in this church. But we need you to bring your whole selves. And as best you can with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given you, we we need you to articulate what that means for us. How we as a congregation are going to be formed and shaped, not just welcoming you into the church, but literally formed and shaped at the deep level of who our identity is by your presence among us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Reconciliation is for all of us, but it's going to be pursued differently by different ones of us. Friends, cynicism has to surrender to the truth because the body of Christ exists for reconciliation. And here's the last one. Cynicism must bow before the truth because the body of Christ testifies to freedom. Somebody say freedom. Freedom. Notice how Jesus ends our passage. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Now, what kind of freedom is this? It is a profoundly spiritual freedom. 
abiding in Jesus leads to freedom from sin, death, and the devil. Yes, yes. And that's good news, yes. friends. Amen. But thanks be to God, this spiritual freedom always manifests physically, always manifests visibly. So that when Jesus comes and articulates his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Please don't go believing anybody who says Jesus is just talking about spiritual blindness yeah. <laughs> or spiritual imprisonment. Yeah. Jesus is interested in real bodies and real communities. And we know this because this mission statement gets manifested in Jesus healing sick people and restoring outcast people and raising dead people and denouncing corrupt people and refusing time and time again the way of violent people. When Jesus proclaims this truth-inspired freedom, it is a holistic freedom. This gospel of freedom inspired countless enslaved people of African descent to plot and to plan and to pursue their emancipation despite enormous risk to themselves. This gospel of freedom animated the prophetic imaginations of people like Fannie Lou Hamer and and Fred Shuttlesworth and John Lewis to to organize and agitate and mobilize for liberation. This gospel of freedom has breathed Holy Spirit life into countless women and men who've been Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but never destroyed. I hope I'm preaching to a few of you this morning. I want to speak for a minute to those of you who find yourselves worn out and a little exhausted today. Mm. It could be that you are asking yourselves how many times must I display the wounds I've received at the hands of this oppressive nation for somebody else's benefit? How many times must I try to convince you that the injustice or oppression or sin that I've experienced is actually real? How many times will my experiences or the experiences of my people be diminished or downplayed or outright denied? So can I invite you? Can I invite you to direct your allegiance and your affection once again to our Lord Jesus. Amen. Not as a distraction. Not as an escape from the pain that you bear. Yeah. Well, I'm inviting you this morning to turn your face to Jesus as the one who is the truth. That's right. That's right. As the one who never has and never will lie to you. Yeah. As the one who has kept the saints who've gone before you and, and not just kept them, but the one who parted the seas and brought down manna from heaven. As the one who, in the words of that young girl, Mary, brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. To the one who has brought low the enslaver and the segregator and the disenfranchiser and the mass incarcerator. Turn your gaze to this Jesus again today. Hear again the words of that old spiritual. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. You can have this world of cynicism and deception. You can have this world of oppression and injustice. Give me Jesus. Give me the truth. Give me the word who was there at the beginning and who will see me through to the end. Give me the only one who can guarantee my freedom from evil in all of its manifestations. Give me Jesus. 
This is the Jesus to whom we, the body of Christ, are called to testify to with our lips and with our lives. When a world accustomed to Pilate's despair encounters a community of Jesus' followers, they ought to be shocked by our very existence and intrigued. Who are these people who actually believe and pursue this comprehensive freedom? Who are these women and men who can imagine and live toward shalom and salvation? Who are these free people living as though the righteous will of God in heaven has actually broken into this cynical world? Who are these diverse people who don't seem to belong to each other and yet who have come to love each other so deeply? Who are these people who willingly lay down their power and their privilege for somebody else's good? Who are these ordinary men and women who've been with Jesus? lay down their lives for freedom. Cynicism surrenders to the truth in the presence of the body of Christ. This is the built-on-truth body of Christ. This is the exists-for-reconciliation body of Christ. This is the testifying-to-freedom body of Christ. Sisters and brothers, you are the body of Christ. There is no body of Christ without you. And we need you, we need each of you to take your place. Do not believe the lie that our cynical status quo is inevitable, because it's not. In Christ, the truth has already come. We've already been reconciled. So let us now give our lives to proclaiming our Lord's freedom, to that joyful announcement which cleanses sinful hearts and shatters sinful chains. Mm -hmm. Those the Son has set free are free indeed. Let's pray. God of all truth, shine the light of your truth into our lives. Drive out every place of despair, cynicism. Drive out every place where we have succumbed to the lies of our day, where we have contented ourselves with the mistruths and mischaracterizations that seem to drive the narrative that we wake up to every morning. Drive it away. God of truth, shine the light of your gospel once again into the the crevices of our imagination and memory. Shine the light of your gospel into the way we assume our way through this life. Invite us again to abide with you, to remain with you. Remind us again that you have moved heaven and earth, that you have literally taken on sin, death, and the devil so that we can abide with the one who is the truth. Make out of us a brilliant city on a hill testifying to you, testifying to the truth. A city which exists not in our wisdom, not in our strength, but in our confession that you are the truth, that you are the way that in you we have found life abundant and eternal. For those of us this morning who find ourselves waking up to the lies that we have succumbed to, we pray you would repent us, that you would turn us around. 
convince our hearts that the way of Jesus is in fact the best way, the way of life, the way of abundance. For those of us who have found ourselves having been lied to time and time again, perhaps in our families, in our workplaces, pushing our way every day, it seems like we are pushing our way through a haze of lies and deceit. Come with your truth, Lord Jesus, and cause every one of those lies to fall away. Help us to see clearly. Help your truth to be our foundation and our compass. And God, we we end just by saying thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being true. Not just being the truth, but being true to your word, being true to your promises, being true to your presence in our lives. Mm. Though we have been faithless, that we have believed the lies, that we get turned around. You are true. Your gospel is so good. So we confess our love for you again today. Don't send us from this place telling ourselves that we're going to do it right this time, that we're going to try harder this time. No, Lord Jesus, your your, your truth is is an act of grace to us. And so we receive it today. We receive that truth. We ask you for the courage to orient our will towards you. That we would not just confess with our lips, but live with our lives this truth. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Can we just say thank you to the God who is the truth, who is the truth for you, who has always been true.